Comrades and friends, uh, from the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast, this is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Rob here in the Bunker Studio. Uh, Carl uh, is behind the board, setting it up, running this tight ship in here as usual. Uh, our our guest this evening uh, is Lydia. Uh, she's a, a student at the University of Delaware. Um, you guys have probably been following um, the story. There's been a lot of... Um, Organizing and activism and advocacy there around sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, and just how um, women uh, are treated at the University of Delaware. Um, it's it's sort of hitting home to me because I we were talking before and I said I I went to the University of Delaware and uh, I lived in a fraternity house and uh, it's not something I'm proud of, uh, but it's just something that I did. And um, it's it's very very disheartening and sad um, that it seems like um, while my attitudes have changed a lot over the years, the culture of the university and the social culture seems to be about the same, um, and it's it's upsetting. But thank you for coming in and and sharing your story, and I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Lydia. I graduated the University of Delaware in 2020 with a exercise science and medical dental scholars program degree. So it's a it's a pre-med degree. Um, I have not gone to medical school. I've been kind of working on managing my mental health. And I also got a job helping heart patients. So I've enjoyed that. Um, but this is something that I've been fighting since my freshman year of college, so about five years. And I'm really happy to see that it's starting to get more attention and that these protests are happening. It's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people um, might, if they're following in the news, just to look the recent stories, would see that there was like an inciting event of a, of a pretty... A uh, pretty gruesome situation where a, a woman was like held locked up in a house. It was like a kidnapping situation, uh, all of that, and wound up escaping. and And I guess the way that the university was trying to handle that situation kind of bubbled all of this back up again. But this is something, as I said, went back and it went back for you um, all the way to the beginning. Um, you, you, well, let's start at the beginning. You say you're you're from uh, this area, right? You were telling me you're uh, you're. Uh, yeah, Newark native. Yeah. I live about 15 minutes from the school. Yeah, me too. I was like, you know, I lived in Wilmington and went there, so I, I, right. I get that uh, that feel. Um, yeah, what was it, what was it like um, when you first uh, like moved in on campus? Were you living on campus? Um, did you know what your major was at that time? Like, how how what was the transition like from like high school to to UD? It was scary to move in on campus. I was a Division One athlete. I was a rower, and I was very um, confident in my dream that I did want to um, go to medical school and become a physician for underserved populations. So um, it was it was scary, but I knew, I knew what I wanted, and I was very busy, and I knew I was going to accomplish a lot, a lot, and this is not 
something that I ever expected myself to be dealing with. This is not a situation or a cause I ever expected myself to be fighting. So you 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 lived on campus uh, straight, even though you're you you were from the Newark area. You did live on campus when you were a freshman and kind of uh, immersed yourself in the in the culture and the and uh, the whole the whole scene. So the. Uh, Need-based scholarships are not given unless you live on campus. That's gotcha. a condition of the need-based scholarship. Gotcha. Um, so it wasn't wasn't necessarily by choice. Okay. Um, Would you have? I mean, it's it, it's uh, that's interesting that you say that because as, as I said, I, I didn't live in Newark, but I grew up in Wilmington, right. and like I lived on campus as a choice. Right. Um, didn't really think about it. I mean, I guess my, my parents sort of persuaded me to do it because they thought it would be a better experience and you right. would get more out of it. And I think in that sense, they were right. Um, because I think my, my dad was a commuter student. And so he kind of uh, suggested it. And I think it was the right suggestion. But if, if, if you had the opportunity, you wouldn't have. I mean, I think or you con- don't know. considering I was, a, I was a Division One athlete, I was picked up um on a bus off campus like 4 a.m 5 a.m every morning to go to wilmington and row with my teammates so you know i'm not sure yeah it it would it probably would have been easier from that perspective but yeah how did you um i mean that's a pretty uh i don't know how the the word i'm looking to describe it's almost like like kids that played ice hockey or row, it's always in the morning. You got to get up at 4 a.m. Like, that's the move. Like, there's no practice doesn't start at 9 a.m. Like, can we just start this at 9 a.m.? No, it's like dark right, time. Right. How, how did that, I mean, how, how, um, I don't know if you do that all throughout the year. Obviously, not in the yes. winter, winter time, yes. maybe, or maybe you do. Um, but how did that, how did, how did training at that level in those schedules, how'd that impact like your, just like your academic life and your social life? Um, it was very difficult to balance it with academics. I learned a lot about time management. Um, my social life was just kind of whoever I kind of ran into. I was in the Blue Hen Leadership Program, so I tried to befriend some people from there, and it, it was it was tough, definitely tough. Um, not getting enough sleep takes a toll. Yeah. What um now I, my recollection of the, of the crew team was sort of like one of the one of the sports that had a big sort of social aspect um like big party aspect. I remember like the rugby team, the hockey team. So that's like, the some, men's some... crew team. Okay. <laughs> the women's crew team is very rigid, very right. um disciplined and focused goal focused yeah no i didn't mean to say uh i, I yeah so I didn't, it's I didn't mean it like versus that. division one. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 okay i see what, yeah yeah because they still have that distinction right i forgot about that right because some of the some of the sports didn't have that right. back in the back in the ancient times right um and i think it also distracted sort of from the trauma that i experienced i think i was too busy to really do anything about it to think about it at the time i didn't even realize you know that i had been sexually assaulted and now looking back on the text that i had sent my boyfriend um that day of 
kind of graphic explanations of what had happened, it's um, just kind of scary that I didn't kind of, I didn't have enough time to process and make that connection that like, oh, that that's horrible. That's bad. Like that shouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did that, so the, I mean, you, and, and again, you can um, describe it or speak to it in whatever manner you, you feel right. comfortable doing. But that was, was that, that was pretty early your freshman year. I mean, that was like kind of out of the bat kind of. Let me see what date I have here. I have um, five nine seventeen, and that was in my in my dorm building. Okay. Um, and this was a person in a leadership position in the Blue Hen Leadership Program. He was a peer mentor that I had met through the Blue Hen Leadership Program. Um, and so this was just I was um. You know, Damien wasn't there. He was in Chicago. I was literally just looking for someone to come to this formal with me. So I had spoken to him once in the dining hall, and he seemed pretty nice. So um, I felt comfortable enough, you know, to speak to him in his dorm room. And that was not <laughs> not a safe situation. And that's what ultimately ended up um, uh, with him assaulting me. And I was, I was just frozen. I mean, I didn't even really fully understand what was going on in the moment um, or even after. Um, I did, you know, immediately after text my boyfriend and say like, wow, I feel like really violated um, that this person did this to me. Um, but the, uh, I also did text him that the next day in the morning that the the rapist said something to me. I don't know what he said to me that kind of convinced me not to report the incident actually right away. Um, so I again, I don't remember exactly what the person said, but I think some maybe some maybe they convinced me that they hadn't done anything wrong. Um, not sure but I didn't report it right away. It was actually the rapist's friend who reported it. Something I said to the rapist's friend um, caused concern enough to where he felt he had to, as an employee of the university, file a Title IX report. And I didn't even follow up with the Title IX report initially um, because I just kind of wanted to move on. I didn't want it to be a big deal. However, my sophomore year, I was placed in a dorm room right next to the guy. Um, so that was pretty scary by itself. And then um, people actually started knocking on my door, making kind of vague threats on his behalf that he would somehow um, get me in trouble or something. Um, and I ended up contacting the police about that, and um, they weren't able to do much besides just talk to the rapist and be like, hey, you know, keep your friends away from her. Um, and then my junior year, I was placed in a dorm with uh, the rapist mentee. Like I mentioned, he was uh, uh, in the Blue Hen Leadership Program, and um I didn't know that when I first met him. I tried to be friendly. Um, and I really do think that he um, influenced his mentee 
um, to do all the stuff he did to me. There was just like a lot of, it was the mentee and his two friends. There was a lot of harassment. People were knocking on my doors in the middle of the night. People were stopping me in the hallways and insisting that, um, kind of like interrogating me almost about the rape. It was just a very scary situation. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even like sit in a lounge and study without, um, without kind of being harassed by one of these three people. Um, it got to the point where I had talked to Residence Life. They didn't want to kind of do anything about it. So the next incident, I contacted the police and they said, we can just talk to these guys and tell them to stay away from you. And I so said, this is the UD police, yeah, it's campus police. Yes, okay. campus police. The campus does have their own police and any crime that occurs on campus, that's their responsibility. Yeah, when we uh, when we bash the cops, we want to be very specific. Right. <laughs> no, but being there too, people might, um, other people might not, not understand that dynamic. But yes, I, I know. Right. Um, and so they did the, they did the, uh, like, we're just going to talk to the guys, that, that deal. Right. Um, however, the next week, I received a letter from the Office of Student Conduct um, that the the pe- person I called the police on had and his two friends had actually gone to the Office of Student Conduct um, and um, said that, uh, alleged that I was harassing them and essentially that I was doing everything to them that they were doing to me. And they like made up some stuff. They literally wrote stuff like, uh, he, she took her sweater off in front of him, which made him uncomfortable. Just like really weird things that you wouldn't think would, uh, lead to any kind of student conduct case. Um, but, um, that was, you know, that case was opened and I had to go through it and it was months and months and months of, me defending myself against my harassers um and i just caused the it was i mean it was just ridiculous yeah, well, <laughs> i mean i so this was the, the thing that i guess sparked this was a comment you made to a third party that made it sound like this encounter was pretty bad and i guess that shook these guys up is that was that what cuz it seemed like even you, you yourself you said you know you weren't even really sure what what was what what had gone on and i yeah i mean i I just turned 18 (laughs) yeah i can definitely imagine (laughs) yeah uh but then you know just (laughs) and it's not surprising that uh that a group of guys would just exacerbate an already horrible situation but uh, you know that's obviously not surprising so what ultimately you're just sort of doing this by yourself as a this was a single incident that happened to you and and experiences you had to have over the years of of going there and and now it's up to campus police are just going to talk to these guys um what i mean in the end i was actually punished for calling the police that's explicitly what i was punished for so tell me that again i was i was punished for contacting the police because that under their policy, they decided was disruptive conduct because the police, and I quote, could have been attending to other matters. And this is, uh, 
So this is like a, a an official. This is official. Like I have this in writing. University I can of send Delaware. It to you. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't. No, it's just like it, it's unbelievable that 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 uh, you know an, an official sort of statement is made that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had this incident. It hasn't been adjudicated, but whatever the whatever the evidence is, and now I'm being harassed. And you have no, not only do you have no uh, recourse, if you try to take any kind of basic recourse, uh, now, you know, it's on your permanent record, as right. it were. Right, That's ridiculous. Right. And I did try to go my sophomore year um, when sort of these instances started happening that I didn't really feel safe in the dorms um, to the Title IX office, but the Title IX office did end up refusing to investigate the whole thing. Well, maybe we'll we'll circle back to like at the end, sort of give an update of where the situation stands now, right? And what you're doing. I, I'm sort of interested in how how did you tie this into advocacy for the the thing, not the incident that happened right. to you, not right. the crime that happened to you, but like everybody coming out and saying, "Yeah, this happened to me," or "I've been fighting Title Nine," or "I called the." Uh, the, the campus police or what have you and now it organized into something people have to pay attention to i have been reaching out to um well i tried reaching out to some lawyers to maybe do a class action thing um that hasn't come to fruition yet but i've also reached out to the media and let them know about me and also a couple friends that i had and I've been sort of just posting on social media, like, please let me know if you have had an incident that was mishandled. I had some friends that I already knew had incidents that were mishandled. Um, and ultimately what has come to fruition so far is I reached out to ABC6 News and um, Chad and Cheryl, who have been so great at um, finding even more people who were affected by this and really... Um, doing this intense investigation of what's going on at the Title IX office um, and how it is dysfunctional um, and not protecting students. Yeah, maybe take a few minutes and sort of discuss and maybe give me a refresher on Title IX because I, I, I know that there... The way I would explain it, if somebody stopped me and like made me say it, I would say you know something about um, you know having some equitable process in place right. to make sure that the procedures and that that you know that equal treatment is is meted out. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how that applies to like um, the athletic department or academics or housing and human and, and life, but that's what I would say. How how close did I get? So the uh, there's the Title IX office is separate from, from it's separate from police, it's separate from Office of Student Conduct, and it just deals with um, either sexual misconduct or any sort of harassment and discrimination based off of um, gender or um, I think that it, they might have cover other um might cover or, or, as well. orientation or yeah. Or, yeah yeah um 
but they do have a, a process in place now that's pretty rigorous, pretty intense to go through. You do have to kind of find all the evidence yourself and um, bring it up and then it's it's in writing. So you write your version of events and then it can be refuted by the the rapists and and it's all within the school. Yeah, um, that's the important point. And, and, and right. I don't know if you know this or not, and I don't know it, but I, th- I think that because you're a student and, you know, this happened on campus, this happened in a dorm, this, you know, it's all insular, right? So right. it's the school's office is investigating and you're just representing yourself. Right. Now, and, and when you went to the campus police, obviously nothing happened. Actually, the only thing that happened is you got a reprimand. Right. So people do need to understand that this isn't like some sort of he- like legal hearing where you can get representation and there are there are you're not rules. allowed to. There's very yeah, you, very strictly not allowed to. Yeah. Um, you can be represented by um, certain staff members within UD who have volunteered to represent people in. Um, who have student conduct allegations against them. And so they'll kind of, they don't represent you. They advise you. They're your advisors. Yeah, they can tell you this is how this works. Right, right. You know, this, this, this fucking guy is going to ask you these questions right. and X, Y, Z, give him this thing. Exactly. So do you know, I, my guess is that the answer, I think I know the answer, but let's say that um, the Title IX office that investigates discrimination uh, for you know, gender and um, gender identity and, and orientation. <laughs> Let's say there's a huge uptick in, in, in uh, complaints in a particular place or on a particular person or um, of a particular discrimination or assault. Is there any way to get that information? Do they, do they share like, oh, you know, last year we did X number of these sort of very serious assault cases this year we did X times four, and like that would be just be a pretty indicative of like some sort of, some sort of something. Either you know, probably what it is is people are just getting the courage to come forward and try to do something. Right. But like that would be pretty indicative of something happening that there would have to be addressed. And it feels like, and they have always done this: keep it like real secret, keep it right. real one on one. You're the only person we right. can kind of like. You know, you're 19, 20 years old, and we're going to just kind of uh, massage you through this bullshit process. Um, I mean, do, is there any idea of the kinds of cases they they see and they adjudicate from, like, semester over semester? I mean, I have Googled it, and you can find some information on um... – you can find some information online. I don't know kind of where specifically, but I think they have to do some kind of – annual report to the state, which is kind of where I found the specific um, cases and outcomes that were very sus. For instance, the one where um, a woman was raped by multiple people and, quote, it was unclear whether consent was obtained, so the gentlemen were held not responsible. Um, And that... Um, there, that's, that's online 
publicly somewhere, as far as I know. Um, yeah, because that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are probably, if, if, if it is online, and it is a federal statute, so you'd right. think, you know, there would be some sort of reporting. But right. again, this is a this is a university that keeps stuff pretty, you know, they can decide how they proceed on this right. stuff in some fashion. The so. process is very not, um, that they don't let you know kind of step by step what went on and um they're um listening to some people's story it was just so difficult and the barriers for even getting the process started were so high and you know the entire process is basically you're you're being attacked and um ultimately I think for, for this one person, their their case, they sent it to a lawyer to have it um, appraised because um, they had never asked the basic question of, did she give consent in this whole process? They'd rather so, not know. Right. So there is this whole, uh, which that person um, did did affirmatively not give consent. They did say, no, I don't want to do this. Um, but because uh, they, because she couldn't prove that she said that, um, then people were held non-responsible. And it is a, um, the, the burden of proof is a, I don't know what the word is, but it's 50, 50%. Preponderance of the evidence. Preponderance of evidence, right. So yeah. it, they decide based on preponderance of evidence. In this case, these two guys came together, made up the story. I, I'm guessing that was that was kind of found as evidence. Um, yeah, I have and, to say this this whole. <clears throat> when I tell you that I like I, it's it's just so. Um, Mind discouraging too, as I said, because this is the same. Right. This is the same shit that's been happening yep. for years and years. It's, it's literally gotten no better, and and I suppose, um, you know, when you have a sort of attitude where you don't want a lot of bad press and you have control over a lot of the levers of of the power of the place, um, and you have a lot of like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old guys, uh, you know. Meatheads are gonna are gonna and if you don't if you don't do anything, if you don't address it, right. it's gonna be the same every year. No, they and, and unfortunately, I feel yep. like it is the same every year. Yep. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about like the recent advocacy and right. action of a lot of people really coming together. Right. I know there was a there, I think there was a vigil was there a march as well or like uh, I know I saw some speakers, um, so there was some sort of demonstration too. Um, yeah, talk talk a little bit about that because that gives gives at least everybody a little bit of hope. So the timeline here, October eighth, twenty twenty one, Brandon Fryer uh, kidnaps and brutally attacks his ex girlfriend, who's chosen to remain anonymous. Um, 10, 12, 2021, um, this woman Audrey Keen who is uh, on the e-board of Generation Action at UD, um, posts this on her story. We're going to have a protest in front of their house today. Um, I just wake up and I see this and I go make my poster and I show up. 
and there's a couple hundred people in front of the, uh, Brendan Fryer's fraternity house, uh, Kappa Delta Rho, which um, there have been multiple incidents of rape, at least th- three that I know of, um, where the where Kappa Delta Rho protected the rapists. So we were we were protesting in front of the house. They didn't come out. There was no one in the house. Um, and then eventually I thought the sidewalk was too cramped. So I just asked people if they wanted to march. We marched um, down Main Street onto campus. Um, it was um, overall, I mean, a pretty, um, pretty safe protest. There were no arrests. There, nothing came to violence. Um, people were just kind of expressing themselves and and chanting and um, just wanting to be heard on this issue. Um, So as this protest sort of dissolves, uh, Kira Span is making this group chat and sort of organizing, and she decides to have another protest the next day um, because Main Street is, is closed to cars on Wednesday so they can have their kind of outdoor flea market on Main Street. So we decided we'd protest on that day. And Kira was very thorough. She spoke with the police to keep everything legal. She um, spoke with a lot of media outlets to have the press there. Um, She kind of prepared everyone for it. So we come the next day and we protest and the community is very supportive. The people eating outside were were clapping and cheering for us and people were joining the crowd. Um, And it was a very um, supportive um, moment for the survivors. And a lot of people, we had uh, a a section where a lot of people spoke about what was going on and I did give a speech about um, what had happened to me as well as what had happened to um, some friends of mine. One was um, drugged and raped at Capo Del Toro, and um, he was actually found responsible by the school for um, raping my friend, but... He his only punishment was a hundred dollar fine, take a class, write an essay, um, and then deferred suspension, which basically means nothing. <laughs> yeah, deferred so you're not suspended. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, hundred dollar fine. Yep. That was the same punishment I got for calling the cops that one time. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same exact thing. I'm gonna have to roll a joint here pretty soon. This stuff's getting to me. Uh, I fully yeah, support that's, you. That's un that's unbelievable. Hundred dollar fine. Mm-hmm. And then you got a hundred dollar fine for calling the police. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I talked about um I mentioned another friend who was gang raped by the Division One hockey team. They were they were still in good standing. Nothing ever happened to them. Um and my my other friend who I talked about who went through through the process and it was just 
it was just horrible. And my my main message in that speech, my last thing I said was, please remove rapists and perpetrators of domestic violence from our campus. That's all I want. That's the that is my one demand to the University of Delaware is that you remove rapists from the campus because they're a danger to every single student who is not a sexual predator. Um, you want to think of it as just a uh, issue for certain people, but it's it's just scary that these sexual predators are allowed to sit in the same classrooms as us to, you know, walk around the same campus as us. We have no way of telling who these people are. You know, we just have to please remove the rapists and the domestic assault perpetrators from the University of Delaware campus. Yeah, I mean, people should know. And every every once in a while, um, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know enough of the details to figure out how this one was bad enough. But, um, you know, our my friend Lex uh, at the newspaper who got me the Wapala flag from Peru. He he uh, he's the, he's the courts reporter, so he had covered the trial of the baseball player who wound up being thrown out of school and oh, convicted. That's good. Uh, just that's very good. last was it last year or earlier this year? Well, anyway, it was it was recent, uh, recently within the last year or two. And uh, it was the same thing. Baseball player at Delaware. You look, you're like, man, this guy looks like a meathead. Right. You're like, I can see this. Right. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really, um, you, know, you can't really use the word epidemic anymore, I guess, because it's like the, the pandemic, the right. COVID has, like, but it really is. I mean, it, it's just, people can't, we can't go on, um, just sort of like, well, you know, he didn't know, or it wasn't clear, a right. uh, hundred bucks, you know, that's right. it's not, it's not going to fly. And this was very black and white. Like, um, this person's dress was completely torn. The metal clasps on the victim's dress were torn. Um, she, th they were asleep. I mean, they were not conscious when this happened to them. So this really isn't like a gray case. This was a black and white rape. And they still only gave him the $100 fine. That, yeah, I mean, if the idea that you can go through a process and look at the evidence and by preponderance of the evidence be like, this guy did a rape probably right. and, and not – and like there be no other ramifications right. really. Like how do you not – if you did a crime, what? how are you immune from the crime? Like what's – where you did a violent crime. Right. They're saying you did it. Right. Now, again, that's not a court. But I think maybe now a court should step in and maybe investigate this. The, the university is saying this person uh, did a rape. Right. Why isn't that? I mean, I would think, you know, people from the AG's office do sometimes list, hate listen to this right. show occasionally. <laughs> I know a few of them. But you would think that would be interesting information if the Title IX, I mean, I don't know legally what loophole there is. But, right. you know, if, if you can go online and look at an audit of these Title IX cases right. and look at the details right. and be like, how, how are we not looking into this? Right. This is terrible. Well, let's, I, I want to, I want to get a little bit more of sort of the, the group coming together. Right. Um, the, the group chat, the actions that you've done. I remember, this will be the one, the one story I'll tell, unless I get sucked into telling another one. 
Um, when I was on campus, so I lived on campus from the fall of 92 to the spring of 96. Uh, the sec- my second year, my sophomore year, I lived in the ta- Christiana Towers, in the West Tower. And our um, RA was the biggest, probably the, the, the most radical activist in the school. Um, we knew him. This is like before the internet. Before phone, we didn't even have we didn't even have computers in our rooms. We had to oh, go, wow. to, go to the lab. Oh, we didn't wow. have cable television in our rooms. We had to go to the lounge. Wow, that's so insane. We, we did we did have color TVs though. I will say that. <laughs> um, but uh, so the group um, was queer campus. I think the guy's name was Eric. Um, but I'm sure if you went back in the review, you'd find all kinds of stories about this guy. They used to do guerrilla things with the, with stickers. They used to all kinds of stuff around campus. And people, um, people like didn't like the guy, but he was, but number one, he was right. Number two, he didn't care. And the, I think about that story because there is, if you do organize in that way and you show people like, no, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to intimidate me. Right. I'm, I'm doing, I don't care. I'm doing it. Um, you know, and now I'm sure, you know, just using the word queer and the name of the thing being queer campus and was like, um, was it was to try to get a rise out of people. It wasn't like the word wasn't even used. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you, you young kids don't know what it was like back in the day. Yeah. Like that was a, um, that was, that was an incendiary uh, 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 label. Like people didn't even know what that meant. I mean, we knew like gay, like homo- that part, lesbian, gay. We, we knew that, but this was out. Of, this was out of our even understanding what the hell was happening. Right. Um, but now that that issue, um, you know, we've moved on to to other, you know, just like maybe transgender issues, or, or maybe that maybe they're the the uh, the new frontier of the day. Right. I mean, there still have been incidents where. Um, LGBTQ people have had violent acts against them at UD um, recently, even. But I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it was much worse in your time. <laughs> Everything was worse in my time, believe me. Uh, I'll make it worse if it wasn't. No, I mean, I, no, certainly that happens. I guess the point, the thing that I'm thinking is that I'm, I'm just um, because we organize around a bunch of stuff. You know, we had a working families thing. I'm going to a demonstration this weekend. And, um, you know, we're just trying to get people organized so they feel like, yeah, it's not just – you're not by yourself. Right. You don't have to do this by yourself. Actually, and it's very interesting. Maybe you can talk a little bit about it. Obviously, you're dealing with administration. Right. I saw some faculty come out and speak or, or at least stand in solidarity with you guys. Right. Um, you're uh, you're an alumni now. Right. Um, so it's all different – you know, different students, different alumni, all of that. But you can work with how you you can you can be involved how you feel. Like if you're comfortable dealing with undergrads and organizing them, and then this person will deal with you know the administration or housing or whatever. Um, you know, there's there's standing in solidarity with people. I think is the only way everybody has the courage together to do this stuff, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, how how what have you you know hasn't been too long since a lot of this group. Uh, sort of demonstrations have started but yeah can you reflect a little bit on like coming together as a group uh, meeting these uh, these other women and other students and, yeah. and alumni faculty too uh, and how's that been like what's your what's your read on it how do you feel about it 
It was extremely empowering. I mean, when I gave my speech and people were so supportive of what happened to the survivors who chose to remain anonymous, but um, I told the be- to the best of my ability their story and I told uh, my story and they were so supportive and so disgusted at how it was handled. Um, it was just so empowering. It was such a special moment to me. And some some people came out, some uh, some survivors came out during the protest. And I mean, I'm just so grateful to them for their bravery and everything that they're risking and they're putting, you know, their own mental health and possibly their well-being on the line because I mean, some of these people have gotten gotten death threats and harassment and stuff. Um but to just stand in solidarity, I'm so thankful and um it was actually a Republican. Uh Mike Mike Smith um did come to the vigil. Um to stand in solidarity with us. He's just my local my local legislator, and I'm just so thankful for everyone, um, even members of the community, um, especially males who and men who came out um, and supported us. Um, the vigil that we had on 1021, um, the student turnout was maybe like 200. Um, but the faculty turnout, there were all the suits there. I mean, the president showed up, which he never shows up, Dennis. Um, we were literally, you know, at the protest the day before chanting, where is Dennis? <coughs> Fuck Dennis. All the VIPs. Right. He showed up. Um, and the um, head of student life showed up. The um, more people in suits. <laughs> you got their attention. Right. Right. Um, and... Um, this story that came out on ABC, it was a really brief story um, that uh, Cheryl and Chet did such a fabulous job on November 1st um, on ABC 6 at 11, got a lot of attention to the point where the university um, was actually soliciting people's feedback for how they can be better and was and is holding these chats for change and they posted about it on their Instagram and so we got the, we got the university's attention and I'm really hoping this momentum can move forward I'm really hoping we have to keep pressure on the school because there have been protests like this in the past right like 7 8 years ago I know there was something yep. and then it just kept going so we got to sustain the pressure we got to keep going and I am calling on um, specifically donors to the school. The school has just built a billion-dollar athletic facility. I was an athlete. We didn't need a billion-dollar athletic facility, okay? And you can't put a couple dollars together to have some safety for these students. I'm calling on the donors to withhold their funds until Title IX protects students until the rapists are removed from campus. And I think um, local politicians should speak out on this. I mean, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, 
He has an open uh, invitation here. I don't think he's ever heard it, though. He, I mean, he's an <laughs> alumni of the school. I yeah. can't believe he hasn't said anything. If he doesn't say anything, he's a fucking pussy. He needs to come out and speak on this issue and put pressure on them to make the school that he went to safe. Do you, uh, when, when, when you talk about um, sort of, is that the demand to revamp the Title IX here? Because we, we have to kind of live with that process. Right. But are there specific things that the group thinks or you personally think would, would make that a, a process that really is, rather than looking to come to the most benign result, right. actually, um, you know, create some fairness, security, and, and get just predators and crazy people off of the fucking campus. Like, is there something, is there something specific that can be done within that process that you're calling for? I think there are several things within the process specifically. Let me try to straighten this out because I did sit down and I did talk to Danica Myers and some of the things she said about how they carry out, how they enforce their process does not, I feel, match what is in their written um, documents and does not um, match just common sense. Um, so one of the things was their kind of definition of consent that they pat pedal is, um, you know, an affirmative, a continuous, affirmative, enthusiastic, verbal yes from the person. In reality, they do not require that at all. If the person isn't actively and violently fighting you and saying no, um, then that's consent. If the person, you know, if it's me who just kind of froze and didn't know what was going on, that effectively is consent. And that's got to change because, and also with the, the drugs and the alcohol, right? My one friend was actually given drugs and alcohol by her rapist. They knew she was drunk and high, um, but that was not taken into account. Now, what Danica Meyer said was, quote, if a reasonable person might not think you were drunk or high, if you were, quote, walking and talking. Um, but what effectively the policy is, these people, I mean, these people knew she was drunk and high and they still, um, they still had sex with her and they didn't get into any trouble. So that's, that's not really being enforced. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a great example. That's a perfect yeah. example. They're not yeah. enforcing. It says this, but you don't enforce that. No. Now, not they're not really enforcing anything, as you said. I mean, yeah. if somebody's passed out, they don't say anything. Right. They're like, oh, they're. I guess they're conscious. Right. Like, what does that mean? Right. Um, but, yeah, I think... I, I don't know if you have if you have more. We can talk about those, too. Yeah. But, but I definitely... Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. You finish your thought because I have I have something. I uh, just want to on make that. one comment that rape in general is usually an unwitnessed crime unless you know that you need to go to the police that day. 
um, and that you need before you take a shower or change and you need to go to the Christiana emergency room that day and ask for a, um, what's it called? The for ask for the forensic nurse and let them know that you want to file this police report. And oh, so this would be the nurse in the ER who's who's right, familiar with doing nurse, the, yeah, yeah, doing the, the kit and, and the, right. asking the right questions and all that. If you don't know to do that, if you don't recognize the crime immediately, if you don't go and do that right away, you have no quote unquote evidence that they will take into account besides your words. So it turns into a he said, she said. And, you know, that it, that's the problem with prosecuting rape in general. Um, but I found, like, if you look at, um, if you look at my friend who was raped by the multiple frat members, they're taking, they have documents where they're taking the men's statement as fact but they're not taking her statement as fact. So it becomes a he said, she said, but they're treated differently. Um, well, I mean, did they give any rationale for saying, well, the, the testimony we're getting from X and Y, we'll take that at face value. But the testimony we're getting from the, the victim, we, we have reason to think that that's not, we're not going to take that in the same, was that explained in any way? I have not asked the victim that. I would imagine it's, you know, a two-verse-one situation. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't know. So. Well, the other thing I think what you said is, uh, and I think it might start to happen. Let's see. Because, I mean, Mike Smith, I'm glad he turned up. Right. He seems like a decent enough guy. I, I only say that because uh, he was working with one of our comrades and friends, uh, Medina Wilson Anton, who uh, represents some of Newark and Bear. Uh, we have a friend, Eric Morrison, who represents the Newark area. Uh, Marie Pinckney's in the state, who's a state senator, is a great comrade of ours. Um, you know, these are all people who um, should be behind this and, right. and really, from a from a state apparatus, right. be helping these changes be implemented. Right. Or have more oversight, right. being you know having to explain when you do things, when you make decisions, what they look like. Right. You know we that that should be happening, right. and and uh, so I'm calling them out because they I, I I know and that I mean the I know that they listen. I love I love you guys. My case, Diana Dunn. <laughs> she decided not to prosecute my case because um, the rapist quote thought I was on board with what was going on. Um, so that was the reason she gave me as to why she didn't prosecute my case, but she, she needs to prosecute more cases and they need to change. They need to change the legislature because again, me being frozen and me not knowing what the heck is going on would under the current law, as far as I know, count as consent. You don't need to actually give consent. The same issue with not, you know, the the words in the Title IX say one thing about the definition of consent. Right. But, the, you know, but that's, you know, de facto really what consent is what everybody thinks it was 100 right. years ago. Right. Which, again, that's, 
that's always been, you know, whenever the topic has come up or when I was on campus, you know, we had to, we did the consent thing. I think we had to go to like Smith 100 and listen to the, like the consent thing when you're a freshman. I remember right. vaguely doing yep. something like that. Yep, the T video. Y- yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. We Maybe we saw a film strip back in the day. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, all, that's always been a thing. But like people don't want to just come out and say like, look, we've, we've all been in some vague situations. Mm. Like – However you acted, you acted, and I'm not tr- like I'm not gonna I'm not judging Carl. That guy's a wild man, by the way. Oh, I know. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> I know stories. The stories I'm told. Um, but like everybody knows that just because you didn't say anything necessarily, or didn't move, or didn't report it to like three days later, right. or whatever, all of these extenuating circumstances are perfectly reasonable circumstances for a rape to have happened right and but people just don't it's almost like we we can't get our mind past this idea that like unless you're you put it you put it the perfect way and i'll screw it up but unless you're you're actively violently fighting back and screaming no, right. then there's no rape. Well, Unless everybody you can knows prove that. that you're actively fighting right. back and saying no. Right. It just, <laughs> I mean, it's just beg- it, it, obviously thinking about it in those terms, those stark terms, um, people should understand like that's just stupid. We should not be doing that. We should right. make it clear that we're not doing that in right. some fashion. And if you are going to make a decision about consent based on the evidence you get, and it and it and it doesn't fit the definition. You better explain why. It better be very clear. Right. Like I think what they do now, if I'm not mistaken, is just is just say, well, it was uh, you know uh, passive consent or whatever they call right. it, and they'll right. just implied say that implied consent. Implied consent. Thank you. Right. You have the better words. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that why if the if the rule says this, but you use the phrase implied consent. Yeah. And and Danica what, did tell me there uh, was implied consent. Under if, what rationale can you even use that? If she said if um, there's a reasonable sexual progression that shows reciprocation, and she used the example, for example, if I took my shirt off and you took your shirt off, that would be implied consent. Yeah, but the rules, that's not what the rule says. But that is what the Title IX coordinator told me is being enforced. See, therein lies the problem, folks. Well, so... What is planned? What? Um, who have you been speaking to? What? What other actions can we expect uh, in Newark? What's happening? Do we know? Or, <laughs> or should we keep? Should we? Should we? Because the other thing is, I will tell you this: a lot of activists come in here, like organizers, like protest right. people, right. and there's a lot of stuff they're like, "Man, we don't need to talk about that." So that's also fine. Um, The Coalition of Change is going to meet this week to speak about how to move forward. Now, they're a registered student organization within the University of Delaware, so they need to be careful to follow the University of Delaware's policies. Um, Outside of that, um, I can't. You know, I don't yeah, feel comfortable I, I, saying everything. I, I feel you. That, I feel you on that. <laughs> no, I'm glad. Because Just keep that goes, an eye out. Yeah. And I think we need to keep the momentum going. As we usually say, watch this space. Right. Yeah. No, I, that, well, and I, I guess that's my – I was very uh, uh, optimistic and, and happy to hear that 
you know, there is a because when you hear like um, this, this group is meeting the group for fundamental change. I don't trust that stuff. But when you tell me, like, no, there are concrete, this is the way that the Title IX is written, has to be enforced, one, two, three. Right. At least. That's the minimum, bare minimum. And and probably some other things. That's something that other people can kind of get behind. And like you said, you know, fuck around and find out. Right. And again, I really hope, and it sounds like you're already, or at least some of your comrades are already sort of on this road. But yeah, I mean, I mentioned a few people who um, I think... Their politics, their um, their outlook. I think they're, they they should be uh, they should be standing in solidarity with you, and and whatever little power they have politically, they should be trying to leverage it right. for this. Because um, yeah, it's the idea of uh, it's just it's just completely unacceptable the way that mm-hmm. because what it's it just it's just perpetuating it. It's not even it would be it would be bad enough if. Uh, somebody did a crime and got away with it. That's bad enough. But when you have a process that's sort of like kind of winking a nod, you're right. actually making it worse. Right. You're sort of like you're just throwing gasoline on it because yep. it's like, yeah, there's, here's all our loopholes. Here's how you do it. And you can pretty much just do whatever you want. That's that's no way. to That's that's no way. Right. No, I completely agree with you. It's not um, the the process itself needs to be reformed. Yeah, and and all I can do from my perspective, as I've told many people, and as I told you before, the last thing any the last person on the face of the earth that anybody needs to hear their opinion about the situation is me. Men's like, voices are important for every. Well, eh, depends on the man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But all all I can say is, you know, a lot of this has to do with a mindset, like sort of understanding, trying to not like trying not to be in your head and your ego and just what you remember and try to sort of see a different perspective um, because people, whether it's women, LGBTQ people, people of color, whoever it is that are walking around legitimately afraid whether it's on their campus or on a city street yeah. or in a bus or, or wherever, legitimately afraid. There's no way to – we can't have a society like that. No. It's, it's unacceptable. So Especially that's, that's a broader, if I'm paying to be a student here. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, we're trying to just we're trying to just pay and be here. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, Lydia – Thank you so much for doing this. Thank I really you so appreciate much it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad to. Um, I'm glad to be able to give you the platform. I. I. I there, there should be a rush of solidarity. Literally, dozens of people, new people, will hear this and and, and come out. I. I hope so. Every <laughs> everyone who hears it counts, and no, everyone's yeah. voice counts. And, and I'm just in a broader sense too. Like I was mentioning, Carl and I were at the Working Families Party cookout yesterday, and all this different stuff is going on. And um, yeah, there are groups that should be standing in solidarity mm-hmm. here too. And I know that they're starting to. Um, you know, I, I've talked to people in, in different sort of organizing and political groups on our the correct side, left okay. is best side. <laughs> Left is best, everybody. <laughs> For a lot of issues, yes. Yeah, um, I I I know that um, you know it's it's an issue people are looking because it's gone on too long too, and people are pretty sick of it. Right. So I I know that there's um, 
I know that there's people looking to do that, and I just hope that it grows and grows, and, and you guys get some kind of uh, some kind of peace, you know, knowing that it doesn't have to. You you stopped it in some way. I think this is the beginning of a long fight, and I think if University of Delaware thinks they're gonna shut us up that easy, they're dead wrong. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. We didn't we didn't get a chance to to, to introduce. You can stay silent. Um, my lovely boyfriend is here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, uh, he's just, he's just lo- supporting Carl, me. Carl, Carl, I was looking over, I was like, nah, he's good. He's, I can tell he's good. <laughs> I've known Carl since the sixth grade. He's uh, so now, lovely. I hope this is still recording. Let's get a Carl. Can we get one Carl high school story? Or even grade school <sighs> story? Can we get one good one? I don't know. Just a funny one. Like, he drew this in art class. It was so funny. It was a guy with big ears. He was just he, he was just so quiet and so intelligent and so intimidating that I really didn't even talk to him the first seven years that I knew him. It was, um, it was not until college that I really talked to him and found out how cool he was. Um, he had this green jacket that he wore for years and years. You um, still own this green jacket? It's somewhere. <laughs> So every everyone says how he really he really did you win the masters when we weren't school. looking? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so yeah funny. Carl, I would say I, I I tease a little bit about it, but it's true. It's like everybody loves Carl content because you get it so uh, so rarely. Like right. once in a while he'll like chime in, or I'll ask like some sort of like I'll say some statistic. Right. It'll be wrong. It's like I'm not even right. Carl, I look. I, this is why I sit here because then I can see him and he'll just like this. I'm like Carl, can you? Tell me what it is, right. and then we'll go to him for fact check, full, right. you know, real time fact checking. Right. But, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he's he has a very um, uh, reserved demeanor. Right. We were in a computer class together, and of course, he knows how to code like the back of his hand. And he's I, our digital editor, right? <laughs> I was in sixth grade; I didn't even know how to use Word, and so when uh, occasionally, when I brought up enough courage, I would ask him, you know, and he helped me. How to use Word and you know the whole just basic stuff. Well, you see where he's sitting here. I don't know how to use that Logic Pro. I mean, oh, I no. know how to turn it on. Like I can record on it now. Finally, after two and a half years of uh, of studying under Carl's tutelage. Um, but yeah, I don't really know how to yeah. use it. If it wasn't for Carl, none of this. Like we could record this. We could do this. <laughs> But it would never be on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Every, everyone says how Carl glowed up in high school. <laughs> what did he do? The Carl glow up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said there wasn't a story. What's this fucking glow up business? I, he just. He it's just, a thing? He or just he... blossomed into this. From, into from this like one year to the next. Like, like he came. He, he was. He, he, he left the, the seventh grade, uh, this dorky kid. And appeared in eighth he grade. He shed in Sept- the green jacket. Yes. Oh, so that the green that green jacket. So okay, that's why you said you didn't know if you owned it. You try to pretend like you don't know where it is. <laughs> I was wondering why you did that. Now I know. He was like, eh, probably. And as we say every week, I forgot to say it last week. Actually, I'm glad you told me this. God damn it, left is best.